0: Today on The Future of Fandom, we step into the batter's box with a household name in sports. My name's Adam Conner, I'm your host, and today we go nine innings with the Boston Red Sox and the ways in which their fan experience is evolving. Up at the plate for that discussion is their chief marketing officer, Adam Grossman. Adam and I first spoke in 2018 amidst Boston's World Series championship run. A lot has changed since then both in the world and the team, and Adam explains how a broadening of content and advertising since has brought a more bespoke approach to the way in which fans both new and long standing interact with their favorite franchise. We also touch on a few of the more recent innovations Adam has overseen, like an overhaul of their student program and their entry into music, as well as a few looming changes yet to happen, like sports betting in Massachusetts and their implications for the fan base. So let's play ball and predict the future with the Boston Red Sox and Adam Grossman. Adam, how are you? I'm great, Adam. Thanks for having me. I am glad to have you again, listeners, a little bit of trivia. I've been dancing around this podcast game a little bit longer than the last couple episodes of the future of fandom. As a matter of fact, when I first started talking to people in this world, sports marketing, anything like that, Adam Grossman was my first interview. So that's a little bit of trivia for you and it's a great coming back to where it all started and I am appreciative for that, Adam. So I want to say first welcome back to me, and then welcome to the future of fandom for the first time.
1: Well, maybe the, I know the last time we were talking, we were in the World Series. So maybe that's, that's a harbinger for next season. Maybe it'll be good
0: luck. Hey, let's see. Maybe. Uh, as I'm recalling, the Orioles were nowhere near. I don't expect that to change. Uh, but maybe if it adds another win to our tally, that'll be good for me. Baby steps. Baby steps. So when we last spoke and i'll begin there and for the listeners you know we spoke in 2018 that was a time in which uh you know the the socks were red hot at that particular moment in time Um, but the fan base was as a result as passionate as ever we spoke a lot about where you saw the fan base going how the pinnacle of experience was to get to the park things around that changed a little obviously with 20 and 21 just due to the forced nature of uh, a pandemic and all that so For starters, let's set a foundation with, let's go with over the last two or three seasons, how you've seen the fan experience change in the filter of the socks, and then maybe we'll broaden a little.
1: Yeah, I think for us, we are actually in a moment of massive transition, and I don't know that we can answer how things have changed because, I mean, 2020 was so extraordinary. I mean, for us, You'd mentioned like our whole ethos is trying to, how do we drive people to the ballpark? And we obviously want people to engage with content, watch on on Nessun. And, and for us, though, from a revenue stream standpoint, getting people to Fenway is really the, the core of our business. 2020 didn't allow us uh, for that. And it did allow us, though, to focus much more on the broadcast. And so I think we were able to do a lot of different elements in terms of trying to incorporate alums, trying to have Zooms with, you know, again, for the first time you say, okay, well, even if you've got David Ortiz, who may not be able to physically be in the ballpark. Doesn't mean that we couldn't put him into a broadcast. Doesn't mean that even though, we have fans who are not physically in the ballpark. doesn't mean that you couldn't hang out for a couple innings with Tim Wakefield during a broadcast and sort of an experience that time virtually. So there were a number of different initiatives that we tried in addition to those, like trying to get our guys mic'd up more on local broadcast was another piece that we really pushed uh, during the pandemic. And we thought that would help accentuate our, uh, our broadcast. And so you have a lot of those elements that we take with you going forward. Last year, when we were able to fortunately have fans back, what we saw was the rise for us in our digital ticketing. You know, Without having paper tickets anymore um, and physical tickets, what we saw was a massive digital transformation. We were reticent in the past to force people to go digital. Last year, there was no option. And you know, now we're amongst the league leaders in digital adoption. And so for us now, we've got a real different view going forward of who's coming in and what opportunities we have in relation to data and information and how we can service our fans better as well. So I think as, you know, things hopefully normalize, quote unquote normalize over the next, you know, the the next year, I think we will, our eyes are certainly open to what that transformation feels like. And also the generational components of what either different trends or different experiences or opportunities are for based on on the segments and the interest of each fan
0: that's what i remember the most from my perspective as an o's fan so listeners uh ness in the new england sports network that's correct adam yes down in the mid-atlantic in the baltimore area we have mass in the mid-atlantic sports network and nothing changed more in my eyes than what that broadcast felt like to watch We had, in our case, it was uh, Jim Palmer, um, the Hall of Fame Orioles pitcher for listeners, join in for a couple innings where normally he would be physically in the booth, where you would get these folks who were legends of our team coming in. So it it felt a lot like that. And at first was something which felt natural, even though it was completely unnatural. And then over time, of course, we were, were happy to get folks back in, although. I have to say, we had this legend in broadcasting who moved on during the time, uh, Gary Thorne, who, Red Sox fan, if you're listening, you, you may remember the trivia that he was present in the booth in 86 when the ball goes by Buckner and then moved on, uh, he's now with the Mets or he was with the Mets in the last season. You know, lots of things change there, but the digital side is also very interesting to us because, you know, that's how I've interacted most of all. How else beyond ticketing has the digital experience just been put into the spotlight, regardless of what's actually changed with it. Um, how's the emphasis changed from what you're seeing? I'd say
1: maybe in two categories to start. One is just with content and the proliferation of content. And even three years ago, it was probably we were talking more about okay, you got Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Snap. And now TikTok has become a central theme, central focus, central platform for us. Um, and making sure that we are carving out different pieces of content for the platform and for the audience on that platform is crucial. And, and part of that is you know to ensure that sort of we have this mindset of we're reaching fans wherever they are on their terms. Sort of not on ours, and but we do feel as we have a content and a production house. Our Red Sox Productions team is is really extraordinary and starting to be more sophisticated around what we're putting out, how we're putting it out, when we're putting it out, and again making sure that it's customized per platform. So that says from a content standpoint. In addition from a I would say from an advertising standpoint, and there is a there is a bit of a blend that's occurring now. But what we are also seeing even on the digital space is you know how we are spending money, how we're putting our content again on those platforms, boosting those that piece of content and marketing more directly to our fans in the digital space versus where the tools and sort of where our strategy was, you know, two years ago or pre-pandemic has changed dramatically. And so our our strategy, our resources, how we're spending money and where is completely changed. And so, you know, when you see sort of how we show up on digital, it's very different than where we were two years ago.
0: If I can get into the weeds for just a second, how, how did those, uh, without opening up the minutes to the meetings that you have, on what metrics does that success change? I mean, what was something that is focused on now that maybe two or three even years ago, would have been like yeah so or that's nice but is now critical
1: well there's one program in particular that completely from a ticket standpoint that completely um, went through the roof last year which is our student program you know one of the things we probably talked about this when we first talked three years ago was our focus on the next generation of fans and students have always been a real key focus of ours because of where Boston is situated and the so many academic institutions around the city and new in new england we we, we've had the student nines program for a couple years about about the last six years and it was always fine we can sell a couple hundred tickets this past year we at times would be selling three to five thousand tickets a game depending on the game um the day of the game so we would send out a text message to our student database. And within minutes, we'd be selling thousands and thousands of tickets. And so we now have over 50,000 students in our text database. And it's a two-click solution, two clicks and you're in ticketing opportunity. So that is something that we were sort of blown away by. And at a time when you know, we, as a, as an industry and as an entertainment sports industry, were really struggling. That was sort of our digital pop of saying, wow, like there's a product here that has just gone through the roof and it's been really amazing to see that. And not only is it, it's not like that's a big moneymaker, but what it did do for us was it made sure that the energy of the ballpark was never n- literally never higher than it was last year. It was a really extraordinary set of circumstances and the student piece of that the energy that they brought was a big piece of it and then on the the advertising side i think for us more we really got more sophisticated with omni channel marketing and being able to understand again taking a big step forward uh, not perfected by any means but of where our fans are and and again what platform and understanding our database and trying to get more segmented more targeted and being able to invest in a more targeted way on digital platforms throughout the season. It used to be several years ago where you had a bucket of money for an on sale in January and a bucket of money right before the season and then a bucket of money that we would sort of play around with throughout the season. And then when we were going into selling for the future years, December was a big uh, uh, spend. Now the way that we've redistributed our ad spends are much more methodical. Um, They're not these sort of big up and downs. They're much more consistent, much more evergreen campaigns. And also being able, like I said before, to use some of this different content to have different targets based on what people are into. I mean, knowing that some of the people that are coming are, super into baseball. Other people are just into the experience or just being with friends. We want to make sure that we're targeting with the appropriate messages on the appropriate platforms. And so there's a lot there sort of from a quote-unquote science standpoint that we have, I think, come a long way in, in terms of being able to be more targeted and more direct with our advertising and our spends.
0: Yeah. And, and more bespoke to platform, as you mentioned, ties in really well with what you said on the content side just before talking about the ads which is those students i mean what a great thing it must be to have that infusion of youth not only into the proportion of, of seats and and fans at any given game but just as to maybe who are the most socially loud types of fans that you may have and and this is you talk about a next gen fan you know a next gen consumer in in any way is most likely to be from gen z you know students who are coming in who maybe have a little disposable income for the first time. The last time they came to the park might have been with their parents or their families, and now it's them because they got nothing going on on a you know, Tuesday or Friday you know or whatever. What has changed in terms of the platforms that you've used and what you see as being the most attractive types of content within those platforms for the newest age of sports fans, and I guess specifically Sox fans?
1: Yeah, I think it's tough. To, again, it's not one size fits all. So take TikTok as an example. You know, one of our big wins on TikTok last year was a short video uh, from a previous year with Wally, um, with a, our mascot, with a poster saying how much she loves JLo. you know, and that was sort of after the A-Ride JLo uh, breakup and it became a right. big deal. And it was just, it was quick. It was timely and it was relevant, especially on that platform. Now, if we did that on Twitter, it feels different and it doesn't, <laughs> it wouldn't have done much, you know? And and so I think that's the part, you know, based on audience and based on the look and the feel of that video and the timeliness of it, the culturally relevant elements of that message, that was something that took off on Twitter our focus is a lot on information and statistics and making sure that our fans are getting the latest information that we can provide. And it's a much more centralized focus on information, less about sort of per se about um, entertainment, you know, in the same way. And again, it's not that they're mutually exclusive, but there are different focal points on that. And even with, you know, with what we've been trying to do on Instagram, I think, you know, what the NBA has done and what... You know, where Instagram Instagram is really about individuals and it's about individual expression. And so, what we've tried to do, even as a brand, is to really hone in and focus on our individual players and sort of giving them that space and that opportunity to make sure that we're capturing them again, not just between the lines, but when they're you know during their off days, when they're arriving to the park, what they're wearing, what they're feeling like. You know, that arrival side is really important, and that's something that is for us has been a real theme. And I think going forward, what we are trying to do is provide more opportunities for our players to express themselves and and whether it's on our channels or on theirs, but to be creative and diligent and thoughtful around how we are building their brands and using, you know, Instagram as, as, as part of that. So those different, I mean, those are three examples of how we're sort of carving things and looking at things differently. And it's a very interesting science as it relates to, You know, making sure that again we're delivering on each of these platforms, but at the same time, I think it sort of lends itself to making sure that we as a as an organization, as a brand, are forward thinking and investing in the resources and the time and the talent, frankly, to be able to make sure that we are showing up in all of these different ways. Because when you combine them all, that is really what is so important for a team. And you can't just be on one. And so I think for us, that's been a real important, we, we've sensed that, but now, you know, again, I think it's been even more and more important as you know, Gen Z and, and different habits are, are forming on these different platforms.
0: Yeah, it's about showing the personality. That composite of a team need not just be the statistics heavy post that you make on Twitter. Of course, not everything has to be the same as I believe it was last May when that sort of devotion to JLo TikTok went out. But it's capturing different sides of a personality, getting behind the scenes, learning more about players. You know, that's something that people crave regardless of their age or their generation. But then, of course, to have that sort of cover off, um, not lack of polish, but definitely just a little more grit, I think, with when it comes to something like a TikTok, where you're allowed to sort of let your hair down a little bit more, especially sports teams, because, well, there's just such a, a passionate emotion there anyway. Let me ask about something else that is not quite yet to massachusetts but is taking a lot of the rest of the country by storm i want to know how it impacts your uh treatment of fans or or rather what you put out there for them is this sports betting thing i mean it just came online in new york came online in uh in in the mid-atlantic a little while back too Uh, of course massachusetts seems like it's halfway there i believe it's passed in the state senate but not the full senate i forget i I don't know exactly what that is I'm, i'm not a i'm not big on that news but surely that should have some halo effect for fans who cannot drive down to the stadium on a given night. As a brand exec and as somebody who's stewarding the Sox forward in this way, how do you look at that?
1: We think it's a important and massive opportunity. I think when you start looking at the numbers in other states, and well, there's been a lot of research on who's betting on sports, and it is a younger and it's a more diverse group of fans. Uh, And we think it's a really important opportunity for those who are already fans to be even more engaged with the broadcast and the game um, and the experience here. And it also is a great on-ramp for those that may have a mild interest, but we think could sort of allow those people to gain an even greater connection, a greater emotional connection to the game and to the sports industry. So we're really interested and excited about the opportunity. And we know that it's going to drive much more engagement and expand the sports industry. We don't, as you mentioned, we don't have sports betting yet in Massachusetts, but we are anticipating, you know, again, at some point in the near future that it will, it will be here. And it will be opening up a whole new opportunity and a whole new experience for, again, different on ramps of fans and also a different way for us to market and to partner. And I think that's the other piece that is so important um, to think about. I mean, especially as we look back at the last couple of years where things have gone, the, the partnerships of this industry are are really second to none. I mean we've got incredible tech partners that uh, you know in the sports betting space and, and with what's going on as it relates to this sort of confluence of sports, sports betting information, data and content and commerce, it's gonna really be fascinating to see how all these pieces come together. Again, not only for sort of the day to day sports side, but just culturally relevant entertainment and what sort of the definition of entertainment is all about, it's an incredibly, incredibly exciting time to sort of see how this will fit together, especially, again, hopefully as the pandemic uh, gets in our rearview mirror and there's a bit of quote-unquote normalcy, the pace of all of this collision is really going to be interesting.
0: Yeah, that's where I'll go here, and we'll make this the penultimate focus today, are brands who typically would be sponsors, partners of the team, leaning harder into the ways that they can reach the fans. Like, are they putting a proactive hand into the experiences that you build? How, how has that changed? Of course, from the sports betting side, where it's a whole new technology that's necessary, but there have been names who have been long standing at the park, for example, for years and years and years, has their approach matched your approach and it's proactive change over the last two or three years?
1: Yeah, I think it has. I mean, I think at the end of the day, we have put a huge premium just on relationships. I mean, that's always been for 20 years with John Henry, Tom Warner, Sam Kennedy. You know, the, at the top of the pyramid for us is how are we, we've built our business on relationships. And that's with our corporate partners, with our fans, with our players. And that sort of principle hasn't changed. And I think, especially going into the pandemic, that was something that we, thought about a lot and said, we know that this is going to be a really difficult, uh, unprecedented for period, but we want to take a long, sort of a long look at how we're approaching relationships and sort of looking at it in the long run. And so we're really fortunate that, you know, our sponsors have continued to be not only, you know, sticking with us during a really tumultuous time, but just are excited about the affiliation around the partnership and you know I mean you you look at the brands that we are fortunate to have between you know Sam Adams and, and Boston Beer and Bank of America and MGM I mean we're we have really blue chip brands and their needs are just like ours are changing in terms of like getting to the consumer but every year it just seems like there's more and more opportunity. And again, what's, what's amazing about sports is that it just, it is such a, a connector and it really opens the doors to millions and millions of people. And so I think for us, what we are looking at, let going back to your question is, yeah, how are we tapping into them? How are we appropriately engaging them with our brand partners? But I think the relevance and the power of sport, I think has never been... I would say has ever been as exciting, especially going through what we've been through and knowing like even for us last year, again, that energy, our attendance. I mean, it just, People love sports and they love coming together. They love being part of it. They love following our teams and our athletes on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, if we got through the last couple of years, you know, there's no telling what's going to happen in in a really positive way with the confluence of technology and normalcy and sports
0: together. Last focus here because the next Iteration, of course, the new season is coming up soon in the next couple of weeks, you'll be heading down to Fenway South to begin spring training. What are you most looking forward to for twenty two again as a steward of the brand now, if maybe on field product aside, we can assume that we're all going to be dazzled by the socks yet again, but I'm curious what you're most looking forward to outside of that,
1: yeah, I think there's so many things to look forward to. I give you. I mean, just instinctually maybe two that I think are relevant to what we talked about before. One, you know, just as a, as someone that's been working for a baseball team for a long time, I mean, opening day is always something that we relish. You know, it's our industry's, uh, you know, highest in many ways, in some ways, our, our highest collective point. And we haven't, at least here, you know, we were not at full capacity last year and, and uh, nor in 2020. So having a fully packed opening day, especially given the momentum that we had in October um, coming into this season, will be something that we really relish and cherish. And on the a little bit of a different way, but down the road in September, we are slated to open the MGM Music Hall, which is a music hall that is a 5,000-seat indoor music and in a venue that's on the backside of our bleachers. And it's a partnership with Live Nation. It's going to be an incredible, intimate, dynamic venue. And it's something that I think speaks to sort of this idea around sports and entertainment and this sort of ecosystem of... It's not just about sports, it's about congregating, it's about entertainment, and it's not sort of having to choose between, you know, a, an area or neighborhood that has a ballpark or a sports venue, but also has, you know, concerts and an entertainment district almost 365 days a year. And So that's something that we're really looking forward to as well. So some traditional and some non-traditional uh, elements, but it's going to be an exciting 2022 for us and for Fenway Sports Group.
0: Yeah, I would say so. The whole entertainment district. I like that sort of reimagining of what most might. Oh, yeah, the ballpark. Well, no, it's it can be so much more than that. And uh, and yeah, hey, best of luck to you and the Sox and and all of Fenway Sports Group. Go Liverpool. Go Pens. And uh, well, I can't quite say go Sox because I'm an O's fan, but have a very nice time at the top of the East all season long.
1: Thanks so much. (laughs)
0: Thanks again to Adam Grossman from the Red Sox for joining us. Individual allegiances aside, I do look forward to you continuing to swing for the fences for your fans. And thanks to you, the listener, for exploring the future of fandom with us. I'd encourage you to stay connected, so subscribe to The Future of Fandom wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can also find all of our content at LiveLike.com. And across socials, we're there on LinkedIn at Live Like and Twitter at Live Like Inc. I look forward to predicting the future again with you soon. Until then, I'm Adam Connor, saying so long, and thanks for being a fan.